Do you want to become a better songwriter? Well, we created a very simple 10-minute songwriter personality test, and it's going to help you better understand who you are as a writer, and it's going to help you in the writer's room when you're writing with other writers, because you're going to be able to identify what kind of writer they are, maybe even have them take the songwriter personality test. If you're curious and you want to take the songwriter personality test today, just visit songwriterpersonalitytest.com or go to the link on the writingworship.co website. Welcome to the Writing Worship Podcast, a place for kingdom-minded songwriters to grow in their craft and community. Welcome to the Writing Worship Podcast. My name is Nick Mara. I'm the director of Writing Worship, but joining me today, I have several friends. I'm going to go, I'm going to, let's start with the left. That's how you go, right? Ladies first. That's right. That's mm-hmm. right. Hello, I'm Emily Weeks. So official. It's really <laughs> natural. So that official. felt really natural. It's natural. Okay, real good. All natural. Hey, y'all. I'm Rachel Thomas. And I'm Eric Nordoff. We've got an amazing crew today. We've got an amazing show coming up, but I have a question for you guys that I feel like is you're listening, we're in the holiday season. And there's a, I feel like a pretty controversial question. Oh boy. Okay. Which is floated around. You've seen it before. When is the time for Christmas music? I feel like you probably all have your answers loaded already. Right. We're ready. November 1st. November Mm, 1st. And give me why. Well, I'm ready. I told Chrissy, I said, we're decorating. We're recording this in November and it's November 3rd today. Yeah. Uh, And I said, this weekend, we're taking down all the fall harvest stuff and we're going Christmas. Indeed. We're setting up the tree and we're going to start playing the music. I want it early this year. Okay. Why so? Because I'm in the mood for something to lift my spirits. There you go. So... I'm not too excited. I don't have anything exciting to say why, but maybe you two have better. Let's hear it, ladies. With you all the way, man. November 1st, Jason was like literally waiting outside on Monday night, which was Halloween, with the Christmas lights (laughs) to put them up the next day, which did not happen. But this weekend, (laughs) it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And we kind of started it after COVID because that year, I feel like our whole neighborhood decorated in October. Yeah. Because it, it, was, it was sad. Right. It yep. was, you were home. <laughs> it was, what do you do? But now I'm just ready. Plus, I love like Thanksgiving, Christmas. Those are my favorites. And to be really honest, I have the spiritual gift of procrastination and I have trouble taking the tree down. So if I put it up early enough, I feel like I get a solid two months. It feels like it's worth it. It feels like trouble. it's worth okay. it for all okay. the trouble. Put up, that's, we're talking about decorations, but music. True. Sorry for music. Music. <laughs> hey, can you, I remind you? Go this is a music podcast. My question is, have you guys, any of you released Christmas music, written, recorded, and released it? Or either you or... Like people, ever, you mean? Like yeah. Ever. Have you yeah. ever? Not Christmas. No. Other music, but, but goals. Okay. Uh, this is the first year that Chrissy's releasing out. I was gonna say, this is what made yeah. me think of this question. Is yes. that Chrissy it's released good. pretty and in October? Early, yeah. Well, they told oh. the label told us to release it in October. Okay. They said we need it early so we can get it on all the playlists. Has it gotten mm-hmm. on any playlists? No. Yes, it, no, no, it <laughs> has. It has? A YouTube one. Oh, the YouTube yeah. has gotten on okay. one. So we're supposed to get more, but I can't imagine that Spotify or Apple or it is really doing a lot of playlists yet, though, because it's still in that in right. that. I gotta you know, believe yeah. this week. I gotta believe. Which leads sure. me to my answer, everyone. Yes. Emily. Please, Emily, please. Which is, I do not celebrate Christmas oh, no. until the last leaf falls off the tree. <laughs> That's true. That's the true. pumpkin okay. is shriveled up on the front porch. Yeah. Okay, guys. Yeah. We go. She's a we go and harvest until Thanksgiving Day. Okay? Uh-huh. <laughs> so you're, you're you're waiting till after Thanksgiving for sure. Well, yes. I can't I can't feel the Christmas vibes when I still see like aut- autumnal. Leave. I'm with you on that. How do you feel about okay. it? Yeah, I, I don't have a hard answer, but okay. in terms of the music, okay. I'll say this. Okay. 
a week or two ago. So we're in the beginning of November. So mid to late October, I was like, I could turn on some Christmas music, a song or two. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right? Sprinkle it in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then, you know, you get into November. It's like, okay, a little more. Yeah. Maybe I'm singing some in my head sometimes. And then once right. Thanksgiving hits, dust off the Bing Crosby. You yeah. get it totally. out. Totally. Now get it so it's Christmas light yes. right now. Yeah. It's, yes. it's rip it's it up light. into it. It's gateway. Mm-hmm. Gateway okay. to Christmas. Okay. Gateway to Christmas. <laughs> okay. So we kind of yeah. mix here. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think so. I have had years where I was like, I don't even want to listen to Christmas <laughs> music after Thanksgiving. Because you're tired. I'm just, yeah. There's also only so many great Christmas songs, Mm -hmm. right? Can we say, I mean, there's maybe a hundred or a couple hundred, which is a great shameless plug segue. What's your favorite Christmas song? Oh, I was gonna, I was gonna Ooh, promo Christie's new oh, song. Can you give us, no, no, you give yes, us a little Winterlude, uh, Winterlude promo. It's yeah, so good. Winterlude. Go stream it everywhere you can find music that you listen. I'm doing a terrible job because I was, I'm on the spot now. But uh, <laughs> yeah, Winterlude is a beautiful. Uh, Christie actually recorded two Christmas songs, but she'll release the second oh, wow. one next year. Because okay. we need some time to oh, set it up with too. the state of Michigan. She oh. wrote a song called Mitten State. Oh, I love that. Oh, wow. Which is all about Christmas in Michigan. Oh, my gosh. But uh, Winterlude is kind of a mainstream song. It's not a worship song, yeah. not necessarily a song that you would sing at church, but it's very, almost has a romance element to mm-hmm. it. Sure. Just sitting by the fire and yes. listening to a record and watching the snow fall outside. It's one that could mm-hmm. become a classic. Hey, Hallmark. Good. Could be. Yeah. yeah. Right there. We need that for a Hallmark We're movie. pitching it for sync licensing yes. and yeah. movies and TV. Sync and so do you, do you happen yeah. to know how did she did she just suddenly go like hmm winter's like an, a life interlude winterlude like, how did she think of that do you know I have no idea okay. it was her and her friend from college that it's wrote just it too together good. Lonnie Lonnie Love and it. her wrote it yeah so, so and she, she she was just in the mood I think they wrote it in the summer amazing so, so go good. listen yeah. Winterlude by Winterlude. Chrissy Nordoff so you can, wherever you stream music you can hear it yeah. it's a beautiful song you asked what's your favorite Christmas song right I think I need a minute do you guys know what what your favorite Christmas song is I'll be honest I love a good pop Christmas song yeah oh, Mariah yeah. Carey come on I come on. No. <laughs> oh. I, I'm yeah. tired okay. of Mariah Carey no, but, yeah. okay. but I love Last Christmas by Wham mm-hmm. oh, I really Christmas. honestly it's love so that good. one it's so good <laughs> It does feel like a classic in some way, though. Mm -hmm. I mean, because it's been around for quite a while, and it comes on, and it just takes you. It's like a vibe. Yeah, it's not a like the lyrics aren't the best. No, (laughs) sad uh, song. I feel like that's the one that plays in the store, and it just drives you to. You're just like, okay, I'm putting stuff in the car. I'm moving. I'm getting in. Throw some candy canes. Oh yeah. Dear listener who can't see what's happening right now, we've got some like mall walking action, but I love it. This is this is yeah. Me in the Christmas spirit. Yeah, uh, I've got mine. Yes, I've got, got it. Well, okay. I've got. I'll give two because there's very different genres. Like you said, there's like pop Christmas. Right. Pop Christmas is easily wonderful Christmas time. Oh, Paul oh, McCartney okay. wings. Yeah, I, yeah, just, I love mm-hmm. that song. Yeah, I mean yeah. it's so good, mm-hmm. but I'm also ding Beatles. Ding is, dong, oh, yeah, dong, ding, that's so good. That is such a great song. Too. And then the, you get the keyboard, the gun, 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 gun. It starts doing the yes. That feels like a classic too. Mm-hmm. It does. And so that one's great. But if we're going sentimental Christmas, I really like Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Oh, that it's hard to beat. Oh, I know. The chords in that. White Christmas would be my sentimental, mm-hmm. traditional. Mm-hmm. How about you? Uh, who else hasn't said any? Who's So my family grew up with playing an actual record player on Christmas yeah. morning. So mm-hmm. Perry Como, he's kind of like in the, the vein of Bing Crosby, but... Mm-hmm. That's like, it's time. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're yeah. Swedish, so the Swedish coffee bread comes out uh-huh. that, uh-huh. that my mom has crafted. Mm-hmm. And then Perry Como starts playing. Wow. Favorite Christmas Carol. I don't know if this is like musically my favorite Christmas Carol, but Hark the Herald mm-hmm. has yeah. so much okay. theology in it. I'm always yeah. like, yeah. yeah. And, then, yeah, yeah, and yeah. when they miss one of the verses, I actually get like a little mad. Like I'm like, <laughs> oh, you didn't put verse two in, huh? <laughs> Worship leader? Okay. That's it is, it's really great. It's my favorite Christmas song to lead. Is yeah. Isaac Watts? Hark the Herald? Is that or Isaac maybe it's a Wesley. Or is it a Wesley? It might be a Wesley. I think it's a Wesley. Yeah. That one is. Okay. It is. The, the, the lyrics on that. They're so good. Are really yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, that's super Did you say yours yet? Uh, no. So, favorite, like, for sentimental reasons and just growing up would probably be Feliz Navidad. Oh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. Like, yes, it is. Literally, like, Gammon. tamales mm-hmm. and. The River Walk, like that song is everywhere, but it's just, it's a Texas Christmas. Yeah, like San Antonio. That okay. San Antonio. Yeah. Yeah. But like for a more, you know, classic 
vibe. This year, I decided officially that, you know what? Christmas time off Charlie Brown mm-hmm. is literally probably one of my favorite oh, yes. songs, Aww. Christmas songs. It's just it's sweet. It's sweet. It's simple, but it takes me there like right mm-hmm. away. I'm like, yeah. let's put on the fire and the cocoa. And yeah. That whole so soundtrack good. is really so amazing. It's good, yeah. right? Yeah. We could t- so I mean, good. God, we could talk. Mela Kaliki Maka. I just okay. have to say. <laughs> that is yeah. actually that's, that's actually a fun jam. In my top three. That is a fun jam. Wow. <laughs> is it really? And it's, that was written wrong. It's the Inter Sisters and Bing Crosby. Yes. Right? Yeah, Which is hard just, to beat. I agree. And, and I have to say one more thing. I'm German. So any German, like Silent Night, the original, okay. and O Tannenbaum. O Tannenbaum. Did you hear Those are my, that's my jam. Yes. O Tannenbaum. O Tannenbaum, wie grün sind deine Blätter. I wanted some German. That's what we needed. Well, that just leads us naturally into our next our next guest so naturally our first guest. yes <laughs> does it so smooth it's so it's really smooth, smooth. Yeah. um no we, so today's uh, podcast we have our buddy chris cleveland of the band stars go dim who's amazing so we have a writing club if you're interested in finding a community kingdom-minded songwriters we have what we call the writing club with writing worship which you can find out more about in the show notes but one thing that we do each month is we have, uh, we call a breakout where we bring in somebody from the industry. So sometimes an artist or a, a songwriter, an A&R publisher, somebody that just has way more knowledge than we do or experience and then interview them. And then we open it up for Q&A. So this is the interview portion of that, of Chris sharing with us. And um, it was wonderful. He's just such an amazing guy, but had so much to share with us. So without further ado, here's Chris Cleveland. Chris Cleveland, welcome to the Riding Worship Podcast. Thanks, man. Yeah. I'm glad it's, I got my good mic on. Yeah. And this is the really fancy mic. It is. Here's the deal. A lot of times on the old like Nickelodeon game shows, they used to do the lightning round at the end of the show. Okay. Yeah. Uh, do the lightning round at the very beginning. I'm fresh. I'm ready to do this. All right. So I'm going to just, you just go with your gut. Don't think too hard about it. And just tell us your thoughts on these things. First of all, on a scale of one to 10, one being the worst day of your life, 10 being the best day of your life, how are you doing today? I feel like it's a solid seven. It's a good day. I feel like most of my days are sevens. That's your average. Yeah, we do like this kind of a high-low with our kids each night because I've felt like my oldest kid was getting like he was focusing on the negative stuff too much. And I was like, Hey, what's the best part of your day? And, you know, and then we was like, well, something that's kind of like rough today. And so we could have like some tangible, like, Oh, actually today was a pretty good day. And I think generally most days are pretty good. Most days are pretty good. Most days are pretty good. Right around a seven. I say the same thing. Some people get freaked out by that where I'm like, I'm around a seven most days. Yeah. I'm having a bad five is a bad day for me. Yeah. Also, like <sighs> something like really bad would have to happen for me to have a bad day because, like, what's the worst that can happen today? Like, aside from someone like getting sick or hurt or you know, like that kind of stuff. It's like, eh, if song doesn't go well. They'll uh, write another one. You know, it's pretty. It's right. It's pretty small potatoes problems in the life right. of artistry and writing. Right. That's and I took true. your quick answer and made it longer. Hey, I'm, I'm here for it. All right, here's one. What If you could have written one song ever and been like, I wrote that one, what would it be? Ever? Oh, man. I'm not that person. Can I do... When I was a kid, it would have been... This is my Christian answer. Michael W. Smith, Do You Dream of Me? Off of Go West, Young Man. Oh, wow. yeah, some of you guys know what I'm talking about. I used to go to sleep to that song every night. I was a real good Christian kid. Wow. Um, a more That's recent song I love uh, that I think is really incredible is the John Bellion. Why did the title just go away from me? Oh my gosh. I think I just had a a slight stroke. What is that song? I couldn't I've listened to his records. I think at your recommendation. I'm going to find it because it's worthwhile. Why did it go away in my brain? I was going to say it, and then that Michael W. Smith song came into my head. Stupid Deep. 
It came to me. Stupid Deep. That's so good. Yes. Oh. Okay. So those are two songs that you wish you would have written. Yeah. All right. Sure. What right now, in this moment, today. I'm sure there's much better songs in the world, but that's what came to mind. That's what came today. That's what's, that's all we're after. So I've got one more lightning round question for you, Chris. Okay. If you could only listen to one song for the rest of your life, it's the only song you could listen to. And it was one of these three songs, which would you pick? Okay. Who Let the Dogs Out? Okay. Number one. Number two, the March of the Penguins soundtrack. Or number three, anything by the metal band Romstein. <laughs> which uh, Does it come with the DVD? Do I get the video uh, if I want Romstein? And only one song. Oh, only. Who let the dogs out, I guess. Wow. All right. I don't listen to that much music, so. Okay. Well, Chris, it was really good to have, on, have you on. See you guys. Uh, <laughs> oh, all right. So lightning round over. This is this could go south. I wish I knew the March of the Penguins soundtrack. I actually don't know that there is a soundtrack, to be completely honest. I looked up and I have a penguin on my desk, and I thought, <laughs> I'm just making this up. Honestly. I bet you it's pretty good. Hon- honestly, that's probably the choice. Probably but, Morgan Freeman did the over, you know, the, the voiceover. Right. So, so even so. if it's just instrumental with Morgan Freeman's voice on top, that's probably the best call. That's true. You get Morgan Freeman. Well, what are you gonna do? we really went deep here today, guys. Glad you all join us today. <laughs> <laughs> so, Chris, you actually, you have a really interesting story as an artist. And I wonder if we start there and you tell us okay. a little bit about your journey because it's different. Like Stars Go Dim as a band is pretty significantly different than a lot of Christian CCM groups. How to give us the kind of background. How did it start? The genesis of it and, and what you're doing now? Yeah. So we started Stars Go Dim in 2007 as kind of a side project or a writing project of a couple of different Christian rock bands. So I was in a band that no one knew. It's like me and my brother and some friends and we'd travel around regionally. And there were some other guys in a Christian rock band called Pillar. And strangely enough, they were doing like a radio thing that I sat in with and I played piano for them and sang. And then through a series of events, they were like, we want to start this side project. And they called me and, and it kind of started from there. So, and then it kind of took off. It was in the, the years of, you guys remember MySpace and things like that. And so before the word viral existed, like, you know, before the world as we know it was here, it's like you could put three songs. And I remember when they started allowing you, you put three songs on MySpace. And so we put a few songs out and then they just started getting played. They called them plays instead of streams back then too, which is funny. So we were getting like crazy amounts of plays and then became kind of one of the biggest independent bands in pop music, kind of in the Midwest and the country, really. And so we started opening. Go ahead. Well, I have a question here because I've always wondered. So Pillar was a Christian group. They were. Started this. Was it a Christian thing or was it just kind of a pop thing? It wasn't. It was just pop. It was just love songs. Like in like mid 2000s, it was like guitar, it was pop rock, really. I feel like it's actually going to like music is kind of taking a turn back to that a little bit right now, but it was like guitars and pop melody over the top. So it's kind of the same era that one Republic came out, same era as like the fray, the script, like kind of poppy bands. And so we had a lot of success as an independent band. I mean, more than probably more than I've had as a Christian artist. But I was young, didn't know what was going on. And and like in a lot of people's stories, make bad decisions or things happen and, and life changes. And so we had a guy in the in the group that was kind of mismanaging and stealing and doing some of this stuff. And so after about five or six years in 2011, we found out that somebody had basically stolen about half a million dollars from us. And we were in a bunch of legal issues. And so we, we had to shut the band down. And there's a long, long story and all that. But um, so we legally kind of shuttered the corporation. I thought maybe I'm done playing. Maybe this is over. So it's me and just one guy left. How were you feeling in all of that personally? Was it like gutted? I was really mad. Yeah, really angry. 
and uh, you know, hurting all the other things. And probably, I probably took it worse than anybody else in, in the group. But I think looking back on it now, I think there was like definitely some maliciousness, but that there was a lot of mismanagement, you know, that was happening. And that was probably more of what it was, but we were like always on the cusp of breaking like one of those bands I mentioned, like, like a one Republic or the fray or something. It was like always really close and just never kind of did. And so we were this big regional band, you know, and, uh, but I was also a worship leader. So I grew up in church from being really little, started playing piano when I was 10 for the church. And so I grew up leading worship and doing all that kind of stuff. And so I was still kind of in both worlds. So at the time when all that happened, I was a worship leader, one of the largest Methodist congregations in the country at a church in Oklahoma. And so I was like, well, maybe I'll just be a worship leader. And this is what I'll I'll do. And I met my wife and we started having our family. We've got three kids who are nine, eight, and six now. But um, we had just started we were about to get married actually when, when all that happened. And so I was like, well, maybe I'll just do this for a while. And so I did, and we kind of figured some things out. And eventually I came back to Nashville and met some people and decided, oh, this Christian thing actually fits my life better. It's kind of settling down. And then I was tired of playing at 11 o'clock every night and, and everything that came with being in a, a mainstream pop band. Two drinks. And, and honestly, I was really still pretty naive about what it took. I didn't know anything about the Christian music industry, even though I grew up on Christian music and knew people in that. I was pretty naive about it. So I wound up signing a record deal with Word, which was with Warner Brothers in 2012, I think. And then I took maybe the longest anyone's ever taken to put their first record out. I took like three and a half years. <laughs> to write and put a record out and honestly just because i was in oklahoma and i didn't i didn't care to rush it i had the church thing going i was having a family and doing all that stuff then the first song off of that record became like a monster song a song called you are loved i honestly almost didn't put it on the record because I thought it was too simple of a song and I, I didn't think it was great and so that shows you how much i actually know because it's the biggest song, you know, we've ever released. And so that kind of made life uh, take a different trajectory. So I'm still working full time at the church now, like thrown back into touring like crazy. And I had toured really heavily before I got married. The year I met my wife, I'd done 300 dates in like 10 months, which was crazy, but I'd been home for three years. So jumping back into that with little kids and that kind of stuff was, was really crazy. So I toured really heavily, worked full time like that, saw my family 45 minutes a week for three years until it all kind of came to a a crashing head and kind of almost sacrificed my family at the altar of ministry, if that makes any sense to some of you guys. So I know we've all been there. And so that's when we made the move to Franklin, to where I am right now. So in 2017, I stepped out of the position at the church that I've been in for a decade. Um, we sold our house. We bought the house that I'm in now uh, without seeing it. And we moved across the country and I took a bunch of time off and started figuring things out from there and just trying to get myself well, my family well, and then the ministry well. And from there, I've put out more records. I write a whole lot here in my space at my house and and have just kind of continued to learn and grow from that. So that's like the really condensed Stars Go Dim history and version of music. This is like the behind the music. I feel like I have so many questions, pockets. And (laughs) one I'm curious about though, is when you talk about You Were Loved, which I know is you guys' huge song. Did someone else heard it at some point and said, you've got to put this on the record, I assume. Someone else talked you into it? Yeah. So a couple guys that were playing with me kind of thought that it had something. And then honestly, the radio team, we had an incredible radio team at Word. Then they were like, hey, there's something to this song. So I was like, okay. So I went back and I wound up rewriting um, the verses to it and then kind of redoing the demo and putting it out there. And then it became the first single off the record. Yeah. So kind of trusting someone else's gut on the song. We've talked about this before. 
And I am so fascinated by this. My friends who are artists on labels with a radio team, right? Because you have multi-management, you have your A&R publishing mm-hmm. team, and then you have your radio team that essentially, correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, but they tell you, you turn in your record and they're like, here's your radio songs. Yeah, I think there's there's obviously different levels of discussion there. And there have been moments when I've been really passionate about a song and, and they're like, okay, let's do this. But I think the reality is none of us really know what songs are hits and, and what songs aren't. We just don't. On this song and that team, honestly, in particular, I mean, of like the five or six people on that team, I think every one of them run major radio teams now, which is pretty crazy. They were just, they just knew what they were doing and they heard something in that that worked at the time. And so I think some of that was a little bit of luck. The song actually took a, a really long time to work at radio. So it was kind of really flat at first. And then we played a radio conference live and people saw it and then it started gaining momentum. So it didn't peak for almost a year, which is a really long time in Christian music. And then it stayed kind of a one of the biggest songs of the next year. So it was, it lasted a long time, took a long time to get there and then stayed there for a long time. Yeah. I bet you still sell t-shirts that say you were loved on it. Everything I own, everything I sell says loved on it. Oh yeah. So it's a whole brand uh, essentially at this point. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It's beautiful too, how much I know I come from background and maybe some folks here uh, are listening, feel the same way of like wrestling with the idea of Christian music you know, and all this versus things that I listen uh-huh. to outside of Christian music. But then to see the ministry that happens and every, like I, you know, make a joke about t-shirts, but every t-shirt that gets sold is like, it's someone whose life was pretty altered by that song. Yeah. You know, and I, I imagine you see some of that stuff that many of us from the outside or who just listen to Christian music don't see it in terms of those ministry moments. That's crazy. Yeah, it's a connection point. I think what you are loved did for me on that kind of, level and playing was like kind of shaped the course and trajectory of my ministry. I think in general, like I didn't know the need for a song like that. And then once that song kind of entered the world and I started getting the messages and like the overwhelming response of people who needed to know this really simple message of like identity, value, and worth. Then I was like, Oh my gosh, this is what I need to say to people. And so subsequently, I've written a lot of songs that talk about that um, because it's such a need. And I think when people come, especially to CCM music, like Christian radio music, a lot of them are hurting. A lot of them are there on purpose. You've got like families like I grew up in who just listen to Christian music all the time. And that's their thing. But then you've got the people who are coming there are searching for something. And when they can grab hold of something so simple as that, it's really, really powerful. And it, it taught me that lesson. So then I used that lesson to subsequently write and use it as a lens to write a lot of my songs through now. That's beautiful. Well, I, I know we're all songwriting nerds here. And so I wonder, I'm going to dig in on a couple of songwriting questions. So yeah. you mentioned this where, earlier that you, you're writing for Stars Go Dim and for your own stuff and your own voice in that sense, but you also write a ton for other artists, which is how you and I initially met. And so where, I guess my question is, how do you approach those processes differently when you're writing for yourself versus writing for another artist? And what mm-hmm. like takeaways have you had from that? Yeah, it's really, I've done so much writing for other people lately. It's hard to remember how I write for myself. <laughs> I think for me, it's like, there's obviously like a sound, but I've even struggled in like the stars go dim thing because if you listen to my records, I've got like really pop stuff, really like happy, feel good pop, and then like worship because those are all spaces that I'm in all the time. Um, now I'll have that, like my voice gets on it and that's what kind of strings it together and because it's kind of a unique voice. But the thing that helps me the most, and we, I sent this to you kind of in a message over Instagram the other day, the most helpful thing with writing for other artists is when the artists know who they are and know what their voice is. And so this is for writing for me. And I think about myself as an artist, what is my voice as stars go down? Well, I'm writing songs to about people's 
value, worth, and identity, honestly. And that's what a lot of my songs are about. And so I know that lens and lane, and I'm talking about that in my shows. And those are the responses I'm getting. Like, I want to present something with like deep meaning in a really simple pop song. And so that's what I'm trying to do in Stars Get Down. With other artists, it's, it's really sitting down and saying, hey, what do you want to say? What is your ministry about? And sometimes the artists don't know uh, yet. And so, so then it becomes a, a game of like asking the right questions when you're in that right and trying to pull that out of them. Because I think the best songs at any time are songs that are believable when the artist sings them. Right. And so I'm trying to find those songs where when the artist sings them, we're like, yep, that person has lived it, knows it, and is all in. And so those are the the initial things that I'm kind of thinking of. And then I try to bring my angle on how I kind of approach songs with melody or my pop sentiments and try and, and combine those. And so the really fun part is when I get with other writers and artists who come from like way different angles than me. And then we just mesh them together and figure out what it is, you know, and those, those are really beautiful. But a lot of times for me, this still happens to me all the time where I walk in, we write a song and it's like, it surprises me. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, we're actually decent at this. And I can't believe we created this thing out of nothing today. That's amazing. And so I still get excited about that and it still surprises me that uh, write songs for a living you should do this i was gonna say yeah do this for a living chris maybe it's right I buy a couple more guitars <laughs> there's a um another guy around town and he described it or his wife i think had said as to songwriters you guys are addicts because you go in every day knowing that most of the songs you write are not going to get recorded Mm-hmm. But you go in for the high of the ones that feel really good, always chasing the latest great song that you wrote, and then like one-tenth of them maybe get cut. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually an awful and amazing description of... It is. It's the same as like, you also have to hold like your heart out here and then take all the arrows, you know what I mean? So it's like you, you get your heart broken over and over and over again. Yeah. But there's also beyond that, like the there's also this carrot out there of however you define success, right? Whether it's the big worship song or just affecting someone's life or monetarily or whatever that is. And you, like, if you're on this call, then you you know someone who's written a song that like changed their lives and changed other people's lives. Like we see it and we're like, okay, the next song could be that for me or the next, like, and so it's a chasing game. And even when we catch it, sometimes it's like, can lightning strike twice? You know, it's like, it just never stops. It is for sure an addiction. Yeah, let me let me drill down on that. What, yeah. what do you personally feel like, do you still have like the voices in your head that speak things, or the enemy speaking things to you that of like artist self-doubt stuff that you battle? Yes. I think less so over the last couple of years. I think the pandemic was really good. And honestly, that space when we moved here, identity was a big thing for me that I had to work on myself. And so I would always walk into a room and feel inadequate, imposter syndrome, all of those things. Like, how did I convince anyone to let me in here? And every room, especially when we're in Nashville. And over the last couple of years, I think I've gotten more comfortable with who I am and actually what my identity is and where it comes from. And that's helped a lot in that. And also like taking a, a right-sided look at myself to know, hey, I'm, I'm, I am this. Like, I'm not horrible. I'm also not God's gift to music. You know what I mean? But I'm somewhere in here and I'm actually one of the few people like making a living when I can take a step back and say, wow, like, thank you, God, for like providing, period. But like letting me do this, get a right-sided look at it. But I still walk into... Some places, like I literally just came from this radio thing for the Dove Awards, and it's every radio programmer in the country, all the artists from our label. So from like the biggest artists to the guys who've never been played, and and we're all thrown in a room. It can be so awkward. So 
going into those into different writing rooms, I think the way that I've been able to combat those voices is just to have a, a right-sided view of myself and saying, no, like actually you, like you are talented. And, and I think, and you put in the work and you know how to write a song you can sing, you know, and all these things. It's all like almost these affirmations. And there's a line there where you don't want to be like, Hey, I'm, I'm the best singer or I'm the best writer or whatever that is. Cause that gets annoying and stupid and no one wants to write with you or hang out with you. But having a right-sided, they used to call it this at my old church. And I didn't really know what they were talking about. until I think I got a little older and figured it out, but it's like a, a humble confidence to be able to say, no, I, I belong here. And, and I've got, something to bring to the table in writing to those roles, knowing that like, you don't have to be the guy that runs the ship on every right is big too. And Nick has written with me enough to know this, like some days I write the whole song and some days I sit back and, and I'm the filter that other people write the song through. You know what I mean? And that's okay. Being confident enough to, to sit in those roles, I think is big, but I think you only get that, with a lot of self-reflection with like years of experience and some both confidence from success and humility from failure. Yeah. So good. There's like, I feel like there's a whole Bible study in there. There's like a songwriters, insecure creatives Bible study, like in that walking through those pieces of like confidence and, the humble confidence and identity and knowing this is who I am and, and this is who I'm not when I walk in a really clear, yeah. like I am not the book. If I'm sitting with you, Chris, I am not the singer that day. <laughs> <laughs> my, my wife says that Chris, she said, um, a year, when we first started writing together, but she's like, who's that friend of yours who has the voice of an angel? Who's that guy? What's him? Cause she'd heard a couple of demos, but there, there is that piece. And that's a silly example a little bit. But there is a, um, in the moment, humbling often that happens. Mm -hmm. Or sometimes it's the opposite of, I remember a write back several months ago. It was the second write of the day for this church who'd come into town and whatever. And everyone's way tired. No one had had much coffee. And I came in fresh. I hadn't had a write in the morning. And I remember going to the bathroom and looking in the mirror and being like, you're going to have to step up today. (laughs) <laughs> you need to bring it. You need to bring the song right now. And so yeah. I'm going to be like, okay, guys, I don't know, you know, a couple of them in the room, but let's go this direction, try this and this and this. And I think knowing those moments and, and just honestly, it's the Holy Spirit a lot of times being like, hey, this is you, who you, you're Dennis Rodman today, not Michael Jordan. You know? Yeah. It's and there are moments when, when you need to take over and moments when you step back. When I first moved to town, you know, they throw artists in with all the writers and they throw you in with pros. I mean, they're one of the best songs, right? And I remember sitting through so many rides that I was just in the room for, you know what I mean? And it took me a long time as an artist to say, actually, that's not my voice. This is my voice. And, and to be able to do that. And so then writing songs for other people has been a thing where it's like, actually, well, let's figure out like the artist's voice, but then knowing when, okay, I'm going to have to write the song or let's dive in and let me help them write the song. I have a song. Honestly, it's one of my favorite songs I've ever been a part of an artist. His name is Mike Donahue. He's part of um, 10th Avenue North. He's doing a solo thing right now. It's his current radio single actually called a glory that I couldn't see. I wish I wrote more of it, but that day in the, in the studio, like I was the filter that Mike was writing the song through. And I mean, when it was done, I felt useless. I felt like I didn't do anything. I was just worthless. And the song came out. And I've never cried to a song more than I've cried to this song. And Mike and I would text each other because it's just the same thing. But now, and even he says, man, there's just a, a mixture. When you put people in a room, like a song would never come out the same way without the mixture of people in the room. And he was really encouraging for me in that, even at the point where I'm at now. And so I can look at that song really proud at this point that I was a part of it, knowing that I I honestly wrote really small pieces of it. And it was a lot of Mike, but knowing that I was a a piece of that. And then, and honestly, because of all of that, this is a, a little tangent into another part of songwriting, but people do this a lot of different 
different ways. Different worship groups do this a lot of different ways. Sometimes it gets a little sticky and iffy for people. But for, for me, because of all of that, like if you're in the room, I don't care if you said a word. I do equal cuts as far as like writing credit and that kind of thing for everyone. Just because there's just no way to, for me to quantify the value of a person's input. And so I've always thought, okay, if the song is going to make enough money for it to matter, then it's made enough money for it to not matter. <laughs> so, so you know what I mean? And, and so I've always said, hey, if you're in the room, I don't care if you sit on the couch the whole time, you're going to get a cut. And I have had times when I've done that and somebody's come back and said, no, 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 I'm not taking this. And I'm okay with that, you know, if somebody w- wants to do that. But I always, uh, I will always give credit in those places. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. There's no way to quantify, right, what that person would or wouldn't have. It's again, I use the Michael Jordan reference way too often, but like, who knows if there had been different, a different center on the Chicago Bulls, how it would have played out differently. No one, I, m- most. Yeah, Tony Kukoc wasn't there. Who knows, you know? DJ uh, Armstrong, Horse Grant. What's the big uh, Bill Winnington? <laughs> yeah, just like all, all the peripheral players. Yeah, Steve Kerr. We can so, go on. Yeah. Well, let me ask about this. A funny question. What's the What's the best right that you've ever had? Where it was like, oh my gosh, that was lights out, amazing. And what's the worst one without using names? <laughs> can you t- Can you Can you go there without using names or giving context? To I can. Uh, yeah, I think I can. We can learn something from both for sure. That's right. Oh man, that's hard. That might be the harder one because there've been some really fun rights for different reasons, not just because the song gets cut or is a hit or something, but some rights are just really fun. Like our right we did for the seven Hills worship thing. That was fun. Right. And that was one where I like had half the song written coming in. And then it was just like energy. Some of those songs that, where it's just like energy from the beginning and then you catch it and everybody is just in on the same plane. Those are so fun. Uh, it's hard for me to think if, if one of those that I can remember better than another, but there've been a, a lot of really great ones. So <laughs> the worst, right? <laughs> this doesn't happen very often, but a friend of mine and I were writing for a newer artist who honestly just didn't know who they were. And those are really tough. And without giving anything away, and usually I'm a very, very kind, really even, if you've ever written with me, I'm like, this is me all the time. I don't get real excited. I don't get angry or weird. And this particular write, though, we had kind of tracked down, we've gone down a bunch of lanes. My friend had given multiple, I mean, really great ideas that kept getting shot down with no real feedback then after it's just like no and then nothing else and finally they had given maybe their fifth or sixth great like really great idea and we're not even talking like we're talking like great lines and and sections of songs and stuff it got turned down and he'd gone to the bathroom and (laughs) and so i i looked at the artist and i was like listen we've given you six home runs and unless you can come up with something better we need to take one of these ideas, you know? And it was like, and I ne- I usually never do that ever, but it was like one of these points, like we're going to be here all day and not get a song. And we've given you some really great songs. So you need to like get on board here with us. And needless to say, we did get a song done. I don't remember it at this point, but it wasn't as good as the song could have been because there were some great ideas. And I called my publisher and it's like, Hey, I'm not going to write with this person again. <laughs> Just Please, don't Did they but, take one of the ideas? Eventually. Yeah. But it, the song we got was not as good as the song as we could have had. For sure. Some of that is just what it is when you're writing with new artists and you've got to find that voice. And, and that's great if they're participating. But if they're not participating, then it's really difficult to do that. And that, and that was really, it was just judgment, no participation. And so it makes it kind of impossible to write for someone else in that space. And so that's probably one of the worst writes. I've written a thousand bad songs. Sure. But, but the writes are usually really fun still, you know, even yeah. in the midst of it. 
Yeah, no doubt. That Seven Hills one, I'm glad you brought that up because the one of the things I was thinking, all the songs we've ever written together, that was one where definitely you were you were Michael Jordan that day. I'm sure I said that that day. I was like, Chris had a chorus or it was like a whole section done. But one of the things I've said this many times, I've probably even said it in writing club here, that that was such a home run with that one was they had a track built out. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but they sent it out beforehand to where, and I know even in writing club, we've talked about this a little bit of the idea of seeding with an idea or with a hook or with the song start or whatever to where when that happens, I can't even tell you like the amount of times I see that happen where someone sends out at least their chorus idea or even just a hook title idea. And then everyone has a chance to stew on a little bit. And then you come mm-hmm. in and you can have half or three quarters of the song done in those so that's just like one thing I've learned over time is that if even a little bit of prep goes into a writing session, it's just light years better than ones where you're just like, what are we writing about today? Which also happens. Yeah. And I think like that one, he sent out, we got it a day or two before. And I was like, I just sat down. And a lot of times if I get this, I'll do like sync things as well. And so a lot of times they'll top line, Hey, we need a, a melody and lyric for this track. Cause DJs will send it out. I get those through the label a lot and 99.9% of the time they come to nothing, but it's really good exercise. And so what I'll do is I'll listen to the track and then just record four ideas, like whatever comes into my head really quickly. And if nothing else, it just gives me a jumping off point. Cause then I can come back, listen to it again, say, ah, no, Oh, that was cool. And bring it back. I do that, do the same thing writing for stars go dim with my voice notes. Right. So I've got, 2000 ideas on here and then I'll just dump them in and then come back a lot of times when I'm coming to a write, especially one for me. But I even do this if I'm trying to find a song for a specific type of artist, then I'll dive in and try and find a voice note that I've for an idea that would fit that artist. So when I walk into a room, a lot of times we're trying to go with their ideas, but if they don't have anything, then I can say, what? I've got this thing. I've got this idea. Let, you know, let's let's try this and, and go. So at least there's something a little bit formed. The whole track thing goes a whole another level, which gives you kind of endless possibilities if you've got the time to take. And even for me, I'm not taking a lot of time out of my space. I, I'm listening through it one time and going and just singing it down really fast and coming back at it and seeing what kind of stuck. It's amazing what pieces... And sometimes, I mean, I would even say the majority of the time, I'll go back to voice memos. I'm like, that's a terrible idea. But then mm-hmm. the, the 25% of the time that it's like, oh, that's cool. Or that sparks another idea or whatever. Yeah. It's amazing. I was talking to my wife one day and I had listened through all my voice notes. And, and I was like, babe, if I die, you got to get in my voice notes. I mean, there's gold. You're going to retire off of these. So, you know, like it's gold in here or whatever. And, and, and I pull one up, like just a random one to play. And it's me acting like I'm a trumpet or something, just, you know, doing something. And she's just like, yeah, it's, it's gold. Apparently, you know, she's just the trashiest thing. So I feel, like but it's good to go back in there. It is. There are some good nuggets. One in 10, at least sometimes sparks something, but the, the other, the other nine or at least half of them for me, because they're oftentimes at night and falling asleep. So I'll, like I'll like, yes, I sound like a serial killer <laughs> in my voice memos. I'm like, who was I threatening to kill? And yeah, I've tried it on airplanes and it's just like, and you're like you know, like, you know, what my trick is I have a trick now. Okay. I pretend like I'm on the phone with someone singing a song to them and then I just go for it. <laughs> at, the, at the very least, that makes me feel less self-conscious. Yeah. Doing this, I've got it up to my ear and I'm just singing loudly. Yeah. I, can I like that it. idea. Actually, it works. Like, tell me I'm weird. <laughs> yeah yeah it's it makes me feel less weird in public anyway well That's chris awesome. thank you for dude thank you for joining us i wonder can i pray over you uh, yeah man as we wrap our convo i would love to do that jesus we just thank you for gosh we thank you for music and we thank you for the gift that we've been talking about just that it is and the way that it can impact a life the way that it's impact every single person on this call every person listening all of our lives We've all had a moment or many moments, most of us, where it's just been an incredible thin space where we know that you're there and you're real and 
even if we don't know much more than that, that our lives are meant for more than whatever we're doing at that moment. And so God, I thank you for that. I, I thank you so much for the way that Chris has stewarded his own calling for his own story, little snippets of that we got to hear today, just how much you've done even through those songs and that we just get to witness and take a lot of joy in. So I pray that you would bless him, that you would bless his family, bless future songs that are coming up, songs he's writing today and tomorrow and, and beyond. Lord, that you would just continue to pour out your spirit through him and through his ministry, through his live shows and all of that. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. I hope that was as meaningful for you as it was for us. If you're a songwriter and you're resonating with any of what you heard today, we'd love to get to know you more and introduce you to some folks in our community. All of our podcast interviews and guest lectures come from either our Writing Club monthly breakouts or our annual Writing Worship Conference. Check out the show notes to learn how to get more involved with Writing Club, our mentorship taught by our founder, Christy Nordoff, or stuff we talked about in today's episode. Find us on Facebook at the Writing Worship Community, on Instagram at writingworship.co, and our website, writingworship.co. We love meeting new folks and supporting songwriters, so be sure to stop in, say hello, and get to know us a little bit. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. The times I've grown most as a songwriter are the times I've had mentors showing me the way. If you're looking to grow as a songwriter, we're now accepting applications for our Worship Songwriter Mentorship. Now, it's available only a few times each year. The Worship Songwriter Mentorship is a songwriting intensive that will help you craft impactful worship songs. It's a course created by Dove Award-winning and Grammy-nominated, uh, drumroll here, please, <laughs> our founder, pro songwriter Chrissy Nordoff. It's a small group community, and it's led by other songwriters over the course of nine weeks. It's an intensive course and a small group co-writing environment, and that means you'll be added to a special group of about 12 writers, give or take. Each group is led by experienced songwriters, some of them my dear, dear friends, and I've even gotten to lead a group or two. Rachel here, by the way. We love the church, and we love to champion fellow worship songwriters just like yourself. In this mentorship, you'll learn how to write songs for you and your congregation. You'll go deeper in your intimacy with Jesus, You'll get the tools needed to help craft songs more easily and never run out of creative ideas. Okay, I know it sounds too good to be true, but trust me, this course is a game changer. You'll learn how to leverage your unique songwriting personality and connect with other like-minded writers in a meaningful way. Truly, I can't think of another course, group of people, community that has impacted my songwriting the way that this mentorship has. If you're wanting to take the next steps in your songwriting journey, then apply now at the link in our show notes. We hope to see you there.